May God speak to you through today's message from Pastor Ryan Loxmo. Good morning. I'm really glad that y'all are with us today. I want to welcome our North Campus as well, joining us via video. Really glad that you're here with us this morning. You know, uh, we just finished up a series here at the park called You Asked For It. And in that series, we uh, took a survey of people at Parkway Fellowship and uh, wanted to figure out kind of what were the big questions that people had in their spiritual life, questions about the Bible or their faith. And uh, there was one question that we got a lot, and it was a question about what is the end of the world going to look like? The end times, what is that all about? Now, we were already planning on doing this series, so we didn't answer that question uh, in that series. But look, it's a question that just fascinates us. Um, It fascinates the culture within the church and outside of the church. You may remember back in 2012 how much media attention there was about how the Mayans had predicted the world would end in 2012, and there were all these interviews and uh, articles about it, and our culture just ate that up. And, uh, you know, films and TV shows that are kind of apocalyptic are huge hits. So like The Walking Dead, Planet of the Apes, Armageddon, Waterworld. Okay, that wasn't exactly a huge hit, but, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's the same subject matter. And look, people in the church have speculated about this for 2,000 years. When is the end times? You know, when are they going to arrive? Uh, and people talk about this shadowy figure, the Antichrist, and apply that term to American politicians they disagree with, and it's just something that's on people's minds and has been for centuries because it's a fundamental question. What will it look like when the world ends? When will this happen? You know, in the first six years that Ashley and I were married, we moved four times, and as you can imagine, there's a lot of chaos when you move, uh, but there's one story out of all of the chaos of all of our moves that really stands out uh, to me and takes the cake. Uh, in this case, we were moving 2,100 miles. Okay, this is a big move. And I was in charge of finding the moving truck and all that. And uh, this particular summer, the gas prices were really high and, and the cost for the U-Haul was going to be really expensive. That's usually the way we go is with like a U-Haul. Um, and so I had to find some other alternative because we just couldn't afford it. And I found another option that would save us $500, which was a ton of money for us. And so uh, the way this option worked is this company brings like an 18-wheeler type trailer. It's empty, and they drop it in front of your house, and you load up your stuff inside this empty trailer up against the back, and you you stack all of your stuff floor to ceiling, and you're charged by the number of feet on the floor that you use. Like, that's how they determine the cost of it. And so I was pretty excited because, you know, I was going to save some money, but also... I viewed this as a challenge. So I went home and I'm thinking, okay, how many feet can we squeeze our stuff in? And I figured out, and I am like really gonna expose what a nerd I am here. I made scale cutouts, paper cutouts of like our major pieces of furniture and like experimented with the best way to fit them all together. And so I figured out that if we put all of our stuff in the back of a truck and stacked it floor to ceiling, we could fit our entire two bedroom apartment in five feet of space on the floor. (laughs) I was pretty pumped, I have to say. And so uh, we went, you know, they brought the trailer and we loaded it up and everything worked perfectly. I mean, it was like a jigsaw puzzle and everything was padded and it was nice and snug so it would travel well. And I was seriously proud of this. So like right at that moment when we got it all packed up, I took a picture of it and this is what it looked like. Yeah, (laughs) look at that. And so right after this moment, they put a wall in front of our stuff, um, because they're going to use the rest of the truck for some other cargo. And um, 
you know, we got in our own car and we just drove, you know, across the country. We were in our own car and we were uh, saving gas money and it was comfortable. And I thought, man, this is a huge win. And then they dropped the trailer off in front of our new apartment. And I opened the back door and the wall did not look right. The wall in front of our stuff. It was way farther back than it should have been. And it was like leaning and I thought, this, this is not going to be good. And so I removed the wall and everything we owned was in a giant, chaotic pile. I mean, it was like, I, I could not believe it. And so, you know, I walked in and I saw our oak uh, kitchen table top with like wrought iron lamps just scraping on it. I saw tears in our couches. I mean, it was really bad. Long story short, what happened was at some point in this journey across the country, the wall fell down, all of our stuff fell down, and the driver saw this and was like, eh, and just kind of put the wall back up halfway through the trailer and kept driving. And so all of our stuff for hundreds of miles just rattled around. I mean, it was a disaster. And if I had known how that was all going to play out, the $500 extra to get the U-Haul would have been like the best $500 I'd ever spent. I mean, I would have done that in a heartbeat. I think we've all had those experiences before where, you know, hindsight is 2020. I mean, if you knew how things were going to turn out, you would go about it completely differently. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The beauty of the end times is that we know how things are going to end. Like, we know. And as a result, we can change our lives now to live in such a way that the way things go in the end times is amazing and joyful. We know now. We have the benefit of hindsight now. And we're not going to just talk about the end times as some kind of abstract topic or just like a fascinating subject that's kind of interesting to talk about and debate. No, we're not going to do that because what the Bible says about the end times, it's real, it's specific, and it's life-changing. And if we don't take seriously what the Bible says about the end times, we risk one day standing before God, being surprised by what he has to say to us, and not in a good way. I mean, we risk standing before God one day and finding out that we really didn't know him like we thought we did. Or the life that we led as Christ followers really had very little eternal value to it. And so that's why it's so critical for us to understand the end times. Because it drives us to live our lives now in a way that matters. And it paves the way for an incredibly joyful eternity. And so this morning we're gonna talk about why is this so important? Why does knowing about the end times matter? Next week we're gonna talk about what is it going to look like? Like when it actually happens, the end of the world, what is it going to look like? In week three, we're going to talk about what are the signs? Like how do we know that this thing is coming soon? And then in the final week, we're going to talk about what will it be like after Jesus comes back? So go ahead and pull out your message notes if you haven't done so already, and let's find out. Why does it matter to know how the world ends? Why does it matter? Well, this is your first fill-in. When the world ends... I will give an account to God for how I lived my life. I will give an account to God for how I lived my life. Now let's talk about judgment for just a second. It's not a comfortable topic. And because Jesus talked a lot about not judging, uh, many people mistakenly believe that there is no judgment in Christianity, that that's not part of the equation. Um, but that is not true. There is judgment in Christianity. It's just that you and I 
are not the ones doing the judging. Christ is the one doing the judging. Christ is the judge. And one day, the Bible tells us, he will judge every single person who has ever lived. He will judge every person in this room. He will judge every person sitting at the North Campus. He will judge every person listening online. Every person who has ever lived, he will judge me, all of us, individually. Look at this passage from 2 Corinthians 5. It says, I want you to underline this first phrase. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, and then underline the rest of this, whether good or bad, whether good or bad. Now, this passage was written by the Apostle Paul. He was kind of the key leader in uh, early Christianity in the first several decades after Christ's uh, death and resurrection. And in the city of Corinth, which is in Greece, it's near Athens, uh, in the city of Corinth, uh, he was arrested at one time, and he was put in trial uh, because he had been accused of breaking the law. Now, what he did is he had to appear before this Roman official who sat on the judgment seat, okay? And so the judgment seat was this throne that he would sit on on top of this raised platform, the Roman official, and then Paul, the accused, was down below on the ground. And that platform that this Roman official stood on still stands in Greece today. Like, you can actually go see it. And a few years ago, I was able to go to Greece, and I took a picture of this, okay? This is ancient Corinth, and, and here's what you're looking at. That rectangular stone structure in the middle of the uh, photo, that was the platform for the judge, okay? Now, it's hard to tell the scale there. That platform's about 10 feet tall, okay? It's almost three times as tall as the platform that I'm standing on now. And on top of that platform was the judgment seat, okay? It was like a throne, and the Roman official stood on that throne, and he was flanked by these elaborate columns. It was a very powerful scene, and it was designed to be intimidating. You've got the Roman judge up there high on this platform, and the accused is down defending himself on the ground. And that is the image that Paul is using in this passage in the same way that he had to stand before that Roman official we will one day have to stand before Christ and answer for our lives. Not some of us, all of us. We will all have to do that. And both our good deeds and our bad deeds will be on display. That, that's something that um, surprised me when I first learned about this years ago. I kind of thought that, you know, if you're a Christ follower, you just kind of get shooed into heaven. You know, you, the whole judgment thing, like, ah, you don't have to do that. Like, Jesus saved you. But that's not true. Good deeds and bad all of us will be judged by Christ. And imagine how small and powerless Paul felt standing before that Roman judge and how much more small and powerless we will feel in front of Christ when we stand before his judgment seat one day. Look at another passage. Paul talks about it in Romans 14, uh, 10 to 12. He says, why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, and underline the rest of this, sentence. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will confess and give praise to God. And I want you to underline this whole last verse. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. And so we all individually 
have a personal court appearance before Christ one day. And our life will be on display. I mean, let that sink in. And there will be two, one of two results. Reward or condemnation. And there is no appeal. So how are you supposed to prepare for that moment? What can you do to make sure it goes well? Well, this is your next fill-in. Make sure I'm on the reward side of judgment. Make sure that I am on the reward side of judgment. That's the side you want to be on because there's only two options. On the one side, you pay the penalty for all of your sins yourself. And you get no credit for all the good stuff you did on earth because good deeds can't cancel out bad deeds. That's not the way it works. And you pay the penalty for all your sins and you spend eternity in a place the Bible calls hell separated from God. That is one option. But there's another option. And that option is that Christ pays the penalty for your sins on your behalf. That is the other side. That is where you experience reward. And that is the side of judgment that you want to be on. So how do you do that? Well, you put your trust in Christ. You know, when Jesus came to this earth, he lived a perfect, sinless life and voluntarily sacrificed himself on the cross. And there was a reason for that. He had the judgment in mind. He was paying the penalty for all of your sins and mine, past, present, and future, back then. That's what he did it for, to pay the penalty so that we can be on the reward side of judgment. And the Bible tells us that if you place your trust in Christ and ask him to come into your life and save you, he will. And you will be on the reward side of judgment, and you'll get to spend eternity in heaven. And it's a free gift. It is absolutely free. You cannot do anything good to earn it. Christ sacrificed himself and offers it to you as a free gift. Now, on the backside of your message notes at the bottom is a sample prayer to become a Christ follower. Um, If you've never prayed a prayer like that before, it doesn't have to have been that specific one, pray that prayer today. Christ loves you, he will come into your life, and he will save you. And I'm gonna give you some time at the end of the message uh, to pray that prayer if you never have before. But look, here's what it will look like at the judgment if you're a Christ follower. You will stand before Christ, the judge. You will have that awe-inspiring moment. Each of us will. And when Christ looks at your life, He won't see your sins. He won't see the ways you've failed him. He won't see the ways that you've hurt those that you love. He won't see all your shortcomings. He won't see any of that. All of that is inadmissible evidence because he will see instead that you put your trust in him and therefore the penalty for your sins has already been paid. His goodness, his sinlessness will be credited to your account. And you will get to spend eternity with God in heaven because there is no legal punishment required for your sins. It's done. That's what will happen if you're a Christ follower at the judgment. So if you're not a Christ follower, become one today. Christ will come into your life and you can have confidence. When you face the judgment, you will be on the reward side. Why else does it matter to know how the world ends? 
It's your next fill-in. The way the world ends should affect the way I live now. The way the world ends should affect the way I live now. Now we're going to look in this next point at uh, a very poetic passage. It's, it's from another one of Paul's letters, and he's, he's kind of painting a picture um, about how our current lives relate to the end times. And so I want you to kind of picture it, because uh, it's very kind of metaphorical. Uh, he writes in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. Now let's pause right there, okay? What's Paul saying? He's saying that when we become Christ followers, we have a clean slate, okay? We have a new foundation for our life, and that foundation is Christ. And the rest of our life, we are supposed to build on that foundation. Our life is supposed to reflect what Christ did for us. And he's saying that people build on the foundation of Christ in different ways, with different quality building materials, so to speak. That's why he says gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But he continues. He says, but on the judgment day, and I want you to underline this next phrase, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. And I want you to underline this whole last sentence. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Now look, he's being very poetic, okay? But he's using the metaphor of fire to talk about the final evaluation of our lives. He's saying that at the judgment, whatever life you have built on the foundation of Christ will be exposed for what it really is. The things that have real eternal value will be identified as well as the things that are worthless from an eternal perspective. Now, now I do want to say something really important. Your salvation is not at stake, okay? Because look, in the passage it says, the builder will be saved. We will be saved regardless of whatever life we build as a Christ follower. As long as we are Christ followers, we will be saved. That's not an issue. But if you have built your life on things that are not of eternal value, this passage is saying, yes, you'll be saved, but you'll like, barely get into heaven, okay? It's like you're escaping from a burning building through a wall of flames. You'll get into heaven, but you'll still smell like smoke when you get there. That's, that's the image that he's using. And that is not the full life that Christ purchased for you. He wants you to build on that foundation of Christ in a way that is worthwhile from an eternal perspective. That's what he's getting at. And so Christ wants you to, and this is your next fill-in, invest in things that have eternal value. Invest in things that have eternal value. So what kinds of things do have eternal value? Well, I'll tell you some things that don't, okay? Climbing the corporate ladder just because you want to increase the prestige of your name, Uh, being self-centered about all of your decisions, trying to make as much money as you can and trying to just find security in that, acting out on your anger, Uh, working to get into that bigger house in that slightly more prestigious neighborhood, um, which really doesn't add any value to your life. Actually, you're just going to pay more in property taxes. So... Getting your kids on all like the 
perfect sports teams and kind of like living vicariously through them. Spending all of your money on you. Working to preserve the facade that your life is perfect. How much energy do you spend on that kind of thing? That stuff has zero eternal value. None. So what kind of things do have eternal value? Spending time alone with God every single day and investing in that relationship. Finding small ways to bring glory to God in whatever line of work you're in. Trusting God regardless of the changing circumstances of your life. Intentionally investing in the relationship you have with your spouse. Leading your family spiritually. Sharing Christ with people who don't know him so that they can be on the reward side of judgment. Forgiving people when you don't think they deserve it at all. Worshiping God every week here at church, making that a priority. Uh, Making sure your kids know and love God. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, we're having an FX concert tonight, four o'clock. It is designed to do just that, to make sure your kids know and love God and that that's a value in your family. Serving people who have no ability to pay you back for it. Uh, Being generous with your money. Investing in relationships with other Christ followers and finding ways to build them up. Doing something nice for someone when they have no idea that you did it and never telling them. Volunteering here at church, putting yourself last in as many ways as possible. These are the kinds of things that have eternal value. These are the kinds of things that bring eternal reward. Things that will survive the judgment, as Paul talked about in the passage. And if you invest in these kinds of things, not only will you be saved, you won't smell like smoke when you get into heaven. You won't have just barely made it in. You will have built something of real value on the foundation of Christ. And you will be rewarded for it. And Jesus will say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. That's what you want to hear at the judgment. Look, I understand that all of this talk of judgment might be a little jarring, okay? I get that. And, you know, we tend to focus on Christ and his love uh, for the most part around here, but there is no need to be afraid. None. If you're a Christ follower, Jesus has paid your way into heaven. It is a done deal. By the way, that is the most loving act ever. Let's look at one more passage, just on a final note of encouragement. 1 John 4, 17. It says, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. I want you to underline this next phrase. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. If you know Christ and you follow him with your life, you have nothing to fear when it comes to the end of the world. Look, I want all of us to be able to stand before God one day unafraid of what is to come, and I want all of us to be able to be excited about being rewarded for a life well lived. Knowing about the end times helps us to keep focused on what really matters. 
And so next week, we'll dive into what will it actually be like when the end of the world arrives. It's going to be incredible. So go ahead and pull out your connection card, and let's take some next steps. How about this first one? I will make sure I'm on the reward side of judgment by praying the prayer to become a Christ follower today. If that's you, if you've never prayed the prayer to become a Christ follower, pray that prayer today. God loves you, and he wants to come into your life, change it now, and give you the assurance that you will be on the reward side of judgment one day. But if you're gonna pray that prayer, check this box, because we're gonna send you some free stuff in the mail to help you in your new life following Christ. I'm gonna give you a moment uh, here in a second to pray that prayer. How about this next one? I will eliminate one thing in my life that has no eternal value. Would you do that? Start with one. Just start with one thing, and then write down on the blank what it is that you're gonna cut out. How about this next one? I will add one thing into my life that has eternal value. What is one thing you can do that you can add in that you know will survive the judgment? Write, write it down, check that box, and then write it down on that blank. How about this next one? I will attend the FX concert tonight with my family at 4 p.m. This is an incredible way for you and your family to put your relationship with Christ first and an incredible event to invite the people in your life who do not know Christ and need to be on that reward side of judgment. This is one of the best things you can invite people to. Would you check that box and be here tonight? How about this next one? Sign me up for a summer small group. Look, inside your worship guide is a card that looks like this. Our summer small groups are arranged by neighborhood. And so it's a great opportunity for you to get to know people in your neighborhood who go to Parkway Fellowship and to be around other people who are trying to build that life out of things of eternal value. And you can bring your whole family to this thing. So just uh, write down the three-letter code of your neighborhood on the blank, and we will send you information. The next meeting is next Sunday night. Um, it's a blast. You should really get signed up if you're not. How about this next one? I will memorize 1 John 4, 17. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. That is a life-changing verse. Would you commit that to memory? And how about this last one? I will come to the rest of the end of the world as we know it series. We've got three more weeks, and we are just starting to scratch the surface. Would you make that commitment? Three weeks to learn how your life now can prepare you for what it's gonna look like. But here's what I want you to do. I want everybody in this room now to go ahead and bow your heads. Everybody in here, bow your heads. I'm gonna give you some time to spend alone with God. And if, if you're gonna pray that prayer to become a Christ follower, this is gonna be your opportunity to do that. And for everybody in this room, I want you to think about what you've learned today and what God has taught you and the next steps you've taken. And I want you to just ask him to help you to live your life now in a way that brings eternal reward. So take a few moments and spend alone with God. Jesus, we thank you that because of you, because of your sacrifice on our behalf, we can face you one day at the judgment with confidence, that we don't have to have any fear 
Lord, but that we can look forward to it with joyful anticipation of getting to see you face to face and to be rewarded for a life well lived. And only you can offer that kind of assurance for us. It is you alone that provides our way to spend eternity in heaven. And Lord, we thank you for that great gift. And show us, Father, what it looks like in our lives to build on your foundation in a way that brings eternal value. Lord, may we look back at the end of our lives and just see a life well lived of serving you and growing closer to you. Show us what that looks like. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.